0: Sir and Brass and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his weekly Monday appearance on a Monday. His weekly Monday appearance, and in this particular case, it has also occurred on a Monday. It's the managing editor of Fangraphs.com, Dave Cameron. Dave Cameron is the guest on this program as he does every week. Dave Cameron endeavors here to analyze all baseball. Of particular note this week, the prospect of a Statcast-based war. a Statcast-based wins above replacement facilitates a conversation about assigning credit. If Andre Ethier hits a home run that is heavily wind-aided, ought he get full credit for a home run? If an outfielder makes a catch on a ball that would have been caught by 95% of other outfielders, how much credit does he deserve for that catch? Greater access to data that represents a player's process also creates more options for evaluating that player's performances on the field. There are choices to make, process versus results, and there are a number of gray areas in between. It's like a Welsh city with all the gray areas. In any case, this question occupies us for much of the conversation to follow. It's not without certain other diversions. For example, I make a bet with Dave Cameron about Pirates infielder Adam Frazier's batting average for 2017. In fact, I argue that Adam Frazier could be a batting champion if given the requisite number of plate appearances. We also discuss the Fangraph's residency program. And finally, I share with Dave Cameron some of my daily habits, and he offers this response.
1: But that's not a a good way of looking at the world.
0: Those cutting words in What's to Follow, before we hear them, however, I'd like to simply mention that Fangraph's ad-free membership exists. Perhaps you did not know that it exists, but in fact, what I would like to tell you is it exists. You can pay Fangraph's money, and in exchange, you will be able to navigate the site without ads, without the burden of banner ads, the emotional burden of banner ads, and also the memory burdens of banner ads live a life without banner ads is what you can do with fangraphs ad-free membership okay with which we have reached the end of the introduction let us get to our conversation what is it it is fangraphs audio who does it feature managing editor of fangraphs dave cameron when does it begin right now Tell me where you are first so I can imagine it in my mind's eye. Ben Dorgan. Oh, you were back in Ben Dorgan.
1: Yeah, I got back late last night.
0: You were in New England.
1: I was um, in Boston, yeah.
0: For the Sloan Sloan Conference, about which I will ask you later. Okay. First, some real pressing matters, Dave. Oh, first of all, hello. (laughs) That
1: is pressing. Hi, Curtis. That is pressing.
0: Yeah, hi. Uh, Second of all, I want to tell you, I've recently come across a shrub that I think would work in bend. Oh yeah, yeah. It's the common name is uh, is usually something like Western Serviceberry, Western Serviceberry, or Saskatoon Serviceberry.
1: That sounds like a Canadian shrub.
0: Yeah, well, I think it probably works in Canada too. But it's native. Uh, it's native uh, to the west, and I think it does well in drier climates, drier, okay. colder climates. Okay. And it and it has a, it it grows a beautiful berry on it. It'd be a great shrub, I think.
1: All right. Is the berry poisonous?
0: No. Not only is it not poisonous, it's great it's great for birds, and it's also good for humans, depending on which uh, variant or cultivar you get. It can be quite uh, quite delicious for humans.
1: Okay. We do have a lot of juniper out here, and uh, I think juniper berries are also supposedly good, but I've actually never just plucked one and eaten it.
0: You know, I've never eaten a juniper berry. I could tell you that juniper berries are what's used to make gin. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's what... Yeah, that's what they. That's what they do. I, I don't know precisely how, but that's uh, that's a, I actually went to a talk uh, locally yesterday about uh, bringing native plants to Maine, planting native plants, and I learned something about juniper, which is that uh, there's basically a juniper for every climate. It, how there, many people
1: uh, came to your talk on
0: local plants in Maine? So many, but I, I, mean, want, I, I want a real number. <clears throat> I'd say no fewer than a hundred. Okay, average age also, Yes, that's the next point Average uh, age and, of these people Callie and I were the youngest people there Well, that's not, that goes
1: without saying Were they average age of 80?
0: <laughs> no, no, no I would say But yeah, I would say I would say the median age Were people who If, if they were not already receiving social security Were, were on the verge
1: Yeah Okay, so mid-60s
0: yeah, it was well-attended, though. It, yeah. Did you it hold was it in everythi- a
1: retirement home?
0: No, I was in a local Episcopal church, though. <laughs> okay. Which I think would have been a <laughs> second guess. You know,
1: not that different from a retirement home, uh, yeah. population-wise.
0: Yeah, it was uh, – right. It was well-attended by older folks and Callie and I. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. So – but anyways, yeah, that's what I want to tell you is uh, – Saskatoon serviceberry or Western serviceberry. I think it would work really well. I'd be interested to see it. I actually would get it. um, It doesn't do particularly well in the East. Otherwise, I'd be interested in it. Uh, And as I said, I'm trying to grow native plants. We'll see how it goes. Right. Uh, So that's one uh, impressive – no, pressing bit of information here. Here's the other one. Uh, um, I was writing – I don't even know what we call it now. It's not Fangraphs Plus anymore. Hmm you're just writing but the player profiles. I was writing the yeah, the player caps that we do. Yeah. And uh and I don't know, will those be available publicly? Will those yeah, be available be, to members? Yeah, they're
1: going to be available
0: for everyone. Oh, for everyone. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Oh, all right, well, that's easy enough. In any case, <coughs> um, what I want to tell you is this. Uh I was reading about Adam Frazier yesterday, who had a decent season yeah. in limited time for the Pirates. Um I think that he, I think that uh, there's a well, I don't know. There's a good chance anyone would do this. I think there's like a not like a like a plausible chance that he would win a batting title if he were given if he were a qualified batter this year. Yeah, I think he could. Can I tell you why? Okay. He he rarely strikes out. Like, right. he, um, and also his his um, he doesn't pop up ever. Right. Uh, and I think that if you have a well, and then of course the third way to get hits, or the, so you can't pop up. And if you don't pop up, usually you, you will have a high batting average on ball in play. It's also good to have home runs, I guess, and he will right. not hit many yep. of those. Okay. Uh, but I think that but he, uh, he ran high BABIPs and very low pop-up rates all throughout the minors. And I think he would do that again. I think it would not be surprising if Adam Frazier recorded a lifetime BABIP of 335 to th- somewhere between 335 and 350.
1: Okay, so do you think he would win the batting title or the BABIP title?
0: I think he. <clears throat> uh, well, I don't. Um, but th- those two in concert, it's rare to find those two skills in concert: a high, a high babbip, and also a high, con- high contact rates. You do I not find. I don't people. think that's actually all that rare. I mean, no, it's that's basically rare. The each of those skill set, right? Okay. You just named one of the most singular ballplayers. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, Ichiro was bizarre in the sense of, like, um, he was also a tiny little man with a great 80 yeah. arm in right field. Like, Ichiro was not necessarily weird because there aren't high-contact, high-babit hitters. Uh, yeah. Ichiro was weird, and, like, he had a shortstop skill set playing right field.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. And although, and, and it's interesting because Adam Frazier... Adam Frazier played shortstop mostly throughout the month. In the clay, uh, the Clay Davenport numbers like him at shortstop. They yeah, him I think he's
1: considered more of a second baseman, right?
0: Yeah, that's what he's. I mean, he didn't play any short when he came up last year. Right. Because of course they have a number Jordy of guys. Shorty Mercer.
1: <laughs> <gonna> well,
0: be- <laughs> yeah, but they have Mercer and I don't know if Gong played shortstop at all. But they also played. Play, yeah, I
1: don't think he played shortstop last year.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you if
1: you're like I'm a good defensive shortstop, I and I apparently Carson thinks I can win the batting title, but I can't wrestle at least one inning from from Jordy Mercer. Maybe you're not a great defensive shortstop.
0: Maybe you're not. Yeah, but I don't know. He that's what the metrics suggest. I I I would like to I would like to pursue the matter further. I think there's there's not unreasonable. I think if one were to claim that Adam Frazier could win a batting title, that that he has a he has a higher probability than most, is how I phrase it. What
1: are we projecting Adam Fraser to hit this year? Do
0: you know? On the um, you know yeah, the like what projections? You know, Zips and Steamer. Yeah. What's the highest reasonable projection projected batting average? Do you think?
1: Um, probably three forty something
0: like that. You could project someone for three forty.
1: I mean, theoretically, yeah. If you had oh. like you know, say you had. I don't know. I mean, Miguel Cabrera is probably the best example, right, of like a very high bab up guy who doesn't strike out a lot and has a lot of power. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, like maybe in his prime, Miguel Cabrera in a better ballpark. I don't think 340 is that un- unheard of.
0: No. Do you, Would you like to know what the highest proje- projected batting average is right now on the depth charts?
1: It's probably like 315 or
0: something. You're very, very close. It's 316. And do yeah. you, can you guess to whom it belongs?
1: Um, Joey Votto.
0: No, Joey Votto, it does not. He's, he's a little bit further down the list, maybe 1520. Yeah. 290, that's still quite good. Uh, Jose Altuve. Oh, yeah, that
1: makes yeah. sense. Daniel yeah. Murphy Jose is probably up there somewhere
0: too, right? Uh, he is. He's second. Mookie yeah. Betts, Miguel Cabrera, and then, uh, the, the fifth, uh, last of the five players projected to, projected to bat above 300, DJ LeMahieu. Oh, yeah. Who, of course. He's, yeah, plays in
1: Colorado. Who, of
0: course, benefits, yeah, he benefits from, from the park. Although right. he, Here's a, here's something I did not know about DJ LeMahieu, is that he's six Yeah, he's a big yeah, he guy. There is generally, generally, I think that if you sort of look through a player's, if, you know, if you sort through his, his, his some of his statistical indicators, I think more, like, I'd say more often than not, you can kind of get a, an idea of the guy physically, don't you think?
1: Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why Hero is so weird.
0: Right. Here's the thing. I think looking at DJ LeMayhew's numbers, even including last year, but certainly up to last year, yeah, there's You would not think he's six four. No, you would not yeah. think he's like, oh, this is a right. scrappy, yeah, a little little guy, right? This is David Eckstein.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: This is not uh, this is not someone who's six four. Yeah, I did not know that about him. I was going to say that I was the first uh, player to jump in my head was Jose Ramirez, but then I think also Jose Ramirez doesn't necessarily look like you might.
1: You're right. Jose Ramirez is kind of thick.
0: He's thick and like he's thick, but he's also kind of small. Is but he put up uh, pretty decent uh, power power numbers this year. He's only five nine. Do you want to hear
1: a fun Jose Ramirez story from the weekend? Yeah. Oh, yes, I would. So, as part of like the Sloan Sports Conference, there were some baseball people there. It's mostly a basketball conference, so it's not like a ton of baseball people there, but there were some. And, uh, uh, Friday night, um, a number of us went out to dinner together at a place called Santarpio's, which is, like, really good pizza in East Boston. And Keith Wollner, who works for the Cleveland Indians, was there. And, uh, a couple members of the Colorado Rockies and some other, some other folks were there. And, uh, I asked Keith straight up in a, <laughs> in loud enough, uh... Tone that all the other people who worked for other teams, uh, could sit there, uh, could hear. And, uh, and I was like, Hey, Keith, I'm just really curious. How good is Jose Ramirez? And knowing that the people from other teams were looking, listening, he said, Uh, uh I, w- I think at least good enough to get like John Gray plus, which was, uh, re- re- elicited a chuckle from the Rockies people.
0: Oh, really? That's funny. That's yeah. a good story. It was a good J- story. Uh, Jose Ramirez is good though.
1: He's, he's a good player, and that's why I asked no. Keith. I was like curious to, to see kind of what the Indians thought of him, but uh, he wasn't biting on giving me some inside information, but he did try and lure the Rockies into trading for John Gray.
0: Do you think that would be a fair trade?
1: I I would not trade John Gray for Jose Ramirez.
0: If you were in charge of the Rockies, you would not yes, trade John Gray no. for him? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think you, no, Jose Ramirez is a nice player, but I would rather have John Gray.
0: You'd rather have John Gray. Uh, Jose Ramirez is a nice player. I assume that he's a little bit further along in terms of – um. um what, uh, service time?
1: Uh Not too much. I think he's only, like, two years. He's, he's still got a good amount of ARB left.
0: No, I think you're mad. Maybe the uh, maybe the market doesn't respect Hozner Mirrors. I, I certainly do. In any case... Would you take Hozner
1: p- over John Gray?
0: Sure. Really? I think it's pretty even. Yeah.
1: Seriously? You would, like... In, you don't see... Okay. You would, like... If you're the Colorado Rockies... I mean, I guess that's not a good case because they have too many... Guys at his positions. But in, in a neutral team, someone comes to you and says, You know, young pitcher with a whatever, 25% strikeout rate, or whatever he most did in Colorado last year with like frontline stuff, former number mm-hmm. one overall pick, uh, you know, really good numbers last year, except for ERA, uh, or, you know, underrated prospect who <laughs> uh, figured out how to hit for some power last year, but is basically a contact guy with a body that doesn't look like it's going to age that well. And you'd be like, Yeah, the same. Equal
0: Yeah it's, it's, I don't like pitchers too much <laughs> Okay
1: I mean uh, I guess that, it, Yeah right If that's the If that's the Pitcher Betting against pitcher attrition That's fine
0: Yeah that's. I mean that's kind of why I think okay. that they're probably gonna I mean honestly I think they'll probably produce Same Roughly the same number of wins And <clears throat> I suppose you can make the case that you, Well Especially if you're in charge of the Rockies Attempting to woo pitchers Is probably difficult So if I was actually If I were the Rockies No and I mean, also of
1: you, you definitely don't make that trade to the Rockies. You don't right. have anyone to play Jose Ramirez, first of all.
0: Also, my sense is that there's still it, there's still probably ways to acquire players. I and mean, this, this also, like, this is accounting for the market too. Like, you probably find players who are like Jose Ramirez. You could probably get like if you if you think of Jose Ramirez like from three years ago, with that that skill set right? It's probably easier to get five of those guys somehow, either by way of. You know, small trades or minor league free agency, for example. Right. Than it is, than it is to get five John, John Gray types.
1: Absolutely. Like finding a, you know, guy who throws 95 with a nasty breaking ball and strikes a lot of guys out, that's hard. Finding a, you know, five foot nine guy who makes contact and might eventually develop some power, that's a lot easier.
0: Yeah. But what if you, what if you say a 23 year old who just put up a five win season? That's pretty hard too.
1: That is hard. Yes, that is difficult.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, anyway, I thought it was a fun, uh, obviously comical, like, you know, please, no one listening to this podcast, be like, oh, the Indians are trying to trade, it a, like, it was a super tongue in cheek, like, Jose Ramirez is worth John Yeah, I don't, we're not, we're not,
0: you're not breaking anything. Yeah, right, yeah. Uh, yeah but, uh, you
1: know, a, a fun parts. story from the weekend.
0: All right, so there we go. Anyway, to return to my hypothesis, Adam Frazier possesses a higher... A higher probability of winning a batting title if given the number, uh, requisite you, number You actually never appearances.
1: did answer what we're projecting Adam uh, Frazier to hit. You just listed oh, yeah. off Jose Altude's batting average.
0: And- well, no, what's actually interesting is that now that, now that I have Jose Ramirez's uh, profile open, of course this is not shocking, uh, he's projected to have, uh, to 286, I guess. That's pretty high for a projection. Adam Fraser. Adam Fraser 271. Mm.
1: So you think, uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility. that Adam Fraser outproduces his projection by forty points. Uh,
0: yeah, I do not think it is out. No, I would. I would say, if I were to, that, that would o- put it
1: at the top of the list. It would be, huh?
0: it would be a forty-point
1: error on the projection in order to get him to the top of the list.
0: Yeah, let me see. Let me look at 45, the
1: forty-five. <clears> point error.
0: We have five players. We like. I think the, these bets work, right? I don't know if we can record this one. But we do. We have five players, as I said: Altuve, Murphy, Betts, Cabrera, and Lemayhu. And I bet you that I bet you that at the end of the season, uh, Adam Frazier will have a higher batting average than three of them.
1: Oh, I'll take that bet. Okay. Yeah, I'll take that bet easily.
0: Frazier, so he'll beat he'll beat three of Altuve, Murphy, Betts, Cabrera, and Lemayhu.
1: Okay. I mean I guess I should clarify, like Adam Fraser's not gonna have a regular job this year. Mm -hmm. So it's a little tricky and like a lot of his at bats might come as like a pinch hitter which drives down your stats and
0: it would, yeah, it would. Yeah. Um
1: and or also he could just go like, you know, six for twelve and then he beats everybody.
0: Hey, what about what's the deal with Gong right now? Is he uh will you give me an update on him?
1: Uh, so he was sentenced in Korea last week, I believe. Um, and the Pirates announced that they were going to continue their own investigation to determine if they were going to punish him or for how long. No determination has been made. I think he is either in Pirates camp now or on his way there. I think he's actually there. Um, and my my gut feeling is that he's going to draw some kind of small suspension.
0: A team imposed suspension.
1: Yeah. And then if MLB doesn't like the team imposed in suspension, maybe they'll add on their own on top of it. But my guess is Major League Baseball will give the Pirates a chance to suspend him first.
0: What's the kind of, what is the precedent for, is it this three DUIs, is that right?
1: Yeah, this is three DUIs. I don't know if we have a precedent in terms of um, a player breaking laws in another country and getting suspended for that. But what, John Rocker got suspended just for saying awful things. I think he got like a 10 game suspension just for being a Bad person. Uh, what the longest suspensions are the domestic violence ones. Like Rolls Chapman got thirty games. Uh, actually, someone might have gotten fifty games. oh they risked? Did he get fifty games or eighty games? Maybe eighty games. He got quite a few, yeah. So, so I guess those are like the you know you did something bad off the field precedents,
0: right? Okay, uh, yeah, off the, off the field. Yeah, yeah.
1: My guess is that Gong will not approach those kinds of numbers. Even though DUI, I think you could argue is pretty terrible, and multiple DUIs, especially terrible.
0: Do you wise, yeah that's interesting because at, at a certain I mean they can be so driving under the influence can be presented in a way that seems harmless oh you know uh, be careful when you're driving out there you you, you know you might hear one person say to the other is the seconds leaving the bar with the keys on the other hand like I assume that the odds of killing someone with your car are much higher if you're driving while you're drunk
1: Right. I mean, this is one of those things that it actually, like, segues into the post I wrote a little bit today of, like, process versus outcome or probability versus outcome is, like, we don't generally tend to, as a society, heavily punish DUIs that aren't, where that a guy isn't either caught or especially where he doesn't actually kill someone, but the probability of him doing so is so high that, like, every person who drives drunk should um, be Shamed somehow. I mean, this is something we want to really discourage in society because even if it works, even if you don't kill anyone on your way home, you certainly could have. And so
0: it's like, so essentially, so this is, yeah, th- this actually is, is a good segue into that. Uh, this is the darkest possible version yeah, of, right, yeah. of, of your, of con- your, right, but <clears throat> the, the idea is how much credit do you give to, or credit or how much of a penalty do you give to any actor for, any. For an event, because yeah. uh, the, the idea is like, uh, I mean, the, the point you brought up was the ether, Andre Ethier's home run off John Lester. Right. It was barely a home run, and it was wind-aided, et cetera. So do you give him credit for a full home run? Right. Or or alternatively, I mean, there are some other, there are, there are a bunch of alternatives, right? What are the al- other alternatives?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, essentially when we're looking at kind of the value that a person is... Um, uh, kind of contributing to an event, uh, the easy way. And the, I think the way society has generally done it is just to be like, well, whatever outcome happened, that's what he deserved. And that's wrong. Right? Like we can talk about with like DUI, you can like DUI safely home and not hurt anyone. But that is not the like, well, no big deal. That's a good drive. Well done. Um, I don't that that's not a, not a good way of looking at the world. Um, more likely you want to look at, like, the distribution of possible events and the probabilities thereof and say, look, you just took a 20% chance of someone else's life. We don't want you to do that. And, right. you know, even if there was an 80% chance that you were going to succeed, the 20% chance that you injure or kill someone else is too high, the cost is too high, whatever. And this is a bad event regardless of the outcome. Um, and the same is true in baseball, right? Like, you know, Andre Ethier hits a high fly ball, how much credit do we want to give him for the fact that it landed over the fence? Like, it's not entirely clear what the right answer is. Even in the comments, people were like, well, Ethier must have known it was windy, so perhaps he just tried to hit the ball into the jet stream, and that's perfectly valid. And we don't know what his intentions were, but we we do know is he didn't hit the ball that well. This was not like a well-struck fly ball. So, do we want to give him credit for the full value of a home run just because he had crushed it? Probably not. Do we want to blame John Lester just because he had thrown a total meatball down the middle? Probably not. Exactly how do you kind of divvy up the the proportion of credit between full value, partial value, no value? That's trickier.
0: So, if you, so if someone, so to, to look at the DUI situation, say say that a that some sort of um, bodily harm comes to an innocent pedestrian uh, once out of every. 10 times i don't know that that's not actual data but once every 10 times that a a person decides to drive under the influence would that mean that you would essentially for dui sentencing you would say we're gonna like you're gonna be punished like like for like one-tenth of a murder or essentially
1: yeah i mean probably i mean i think that's one way to look at it is like say look if you had killed someone we would have given you 25 years in prison so uh-huh. the fact that you had a 1 in 10 chance of killing someone, if you did this 10 times, we think that once you would get a 25-year sentence, that's two and a half years just for the probability of that. That's certainly one valid way of looking. And then you would look at all the other probabilities, not just killing someone, but like maybe you hit a tree and you were knocked down a power line. And there's like all these other negative possibilities. So then we ended up to think three or four years or whatever it is. Um, I think that's a valid way of looking at fair sentencing based on the possibility of distributions. Well,
0: it's, you could do it... Uh um, I, I think like if I say certain things, I know there's like a 10% chance my wife might kill me too. So maybe I should be more careful. I was trying, I was trying to make this about domestic or my domestic life, but I don't mm-hmm. think that, I, think I know that,
1: to... that, that, that generally when we talk about your domestic life, that's when podcast ratings go up the most.
0: That's right. Let's, um, so let's, so let's talk about what war can do slash should do. Okay. Um, it seems to me that you could have two versions of war.
1: Well, you can have like thirty,
0: but yeah, you can have right. But but on but there there's a there is a spectrum. On the one hand, you could have it totally explain what did happen. On the other hand, you could have it uh, represent what should have happened given this participant's contribution to any particular event.
1: Yeah, I mean, we kind of have this right now with the pitching war on our site. We have FIP uh, based pitcher war and we have runs allowed base pitcher war. Fip base pitcher war says the pitcher had nothing to do with the results of balls in play, which is wrong. Run, runs aloud based war says the pitcher had everything to do with the results of balls in play, which is wrong. And so we have these <laughs> polar opposite uh, dynamics and uh, we, we know that the truth lies somewhere in the middle, but to this point uh, without, you know, access to stat cast type data, we have not yet been comfortable saying we think that the pitcher controls 63% or 34% or whatever the number is. Um, so we haven't taken a position on how much, you know, uh, credit to give pitchers for, Results of their bad balls. So you
0: mentioned you mentioned Statcast, and, and that's actually that's the real entry point to this conversation yeah. is because at Sloan, uh, right? There was a was there a presentation about a potential Statcast based war?
1: It, so it wasn't about that. Um, so Mike Petriello and Greg Kane, who's one of the engineers at MLB, they presented two new metrics for 2017. One is catch probability, one is hit probability. Hit probability is probably the more important one for this this kind of conversation. Um, but they're going to basically say, based on the exit velocity and launch angle, and then at some point they're going to add in spray angle, so like whether it was pulled or you know hit the opposite field or whatever. Um, based on that, what was the probability of that play becoming a hit? So that if some guy makes a diving catch, you know, we can say, oh, you know, like that was a you know, 98% likelihood of being a hit. He got robbed by Manny Machado or whatever. Uh, and then we can substitute in like the actual value of the expected hit instead of the, um uh, the outcome. And that's basically how like R and DRS work. And this is one of the fundamental calculations you need in building a defensive metric. And then once you have a defensive metric, then you can build more.
0: And that lends, but that, now this lends itself to, in theory, and I think that is it. Did Jeff Passan maybe treat this in further depth?
1: Yeah, so pa- Passan wrote an article, uh, kind of timed to go out with the Statcast presentation, talking about how now that Statcast is starting to build kind of metrics instead of just data points, which is kind of what they've done the last couple of years. They're building towards their own version of war, and they're thinking about what their version of war might be. Um, you know, I know the guys at BAM pretty well. Obviously, we used, Mike Petriello used to write for us. Like, uh, you know, I, he came to the group dinner on Friday night that I alluded earlier. Um, I don't think that MLB.com is that close to rolling out their version of war. Like, if Passon's article made it sound like this is coming tomorrow, that's not true. Um, but they're certainly thinking about how they can roll up kind of these new fancy data points into a total value metric at some point.
0: So if so I guess there are varying degrees of uh, if you if you think of war and you say where is it on the spectrum is it explaining what did happen or what should have happened right Th- there are still varying degrees of that even within different even within different versions of the metric i'm not explaining it well but but let's return to the example of the catch that should have happened right yeah if you say there's a ninety eight percent chance this ball would fall, but then the outfielder makes the catch, yeah, um, I guess he gets credit for for what ninety eight percent of a catch essentially, right, yeah so but he did make the catch, so maybe he should get credit for a hundred percent, right, so those are two various r- reports on what did happen,
1: yeah, I mean, I think like this is one of the tricky things is deciding what you want to call value. And so, like, war, I think, is generally understood to be a descriptive, backwards-looking metric that is supposed to tell us how much value a player produced in the past. It is used for predictive things sometimes, but that's not what it's designed for. And so, I think in general, most people agree what you're trying to do is describe past value. But the question is, what is value? And, like, not to make this about, like, the MVP award or something, but it's, like, not an easy thing to define. Like, this is a little bit of a tricky word and a little bit of a tricky concept because, as I mentioned in the post, like, if a guy hits a grand slam in the ninth inning to win the game, that is tangibly different in the standings than if a guy hits a solo home run in the fourth inning down 10 nothing, Right? Like, the outcome of the game... Is different based on those two things, but if you do context neutral statistics, which is how we calculate WAR and how basically everyone else calculates WAR, we just say the guy hit a home run and we give him 1.4 runs for that, and we say, "Good job, you hit, you did this." But the 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 base out score inning, none of that was in your control, so we don't give you credit for that. But there's not necessarily a consistent pattern throughout that because if you just followed kind of the, you know, context doesn't matter. Uh do you want to follow through with that with pitching as well? So, like, say a pitcher is really bad at stranding runners. Do we want to say, like, that doesn't matter? And all that matters is, did he get this guy out, and did he get that guy out, and we don't actually care that he gives up, like, you know, strikeout, strikeout, and then three walks and a home run, and then another strikeout. Or if he had sequenced it differently, you would have only given up one run instead of four runs. Um It's not so easy to say at every single position, we're going to take the same, you know, either no context or all context People want different levels of context depending on what type of what type of play it is, and um, it's it's not so easy to decide how much context you want on every single play.
0: Now we we were discussing sort of the this tension between uh, representing the process versus representing the the result the final product uh, in a in a single number. I'm interested. Uh, I would like to to tie it with something, uh, to tie to something that we d- that we discussed last week with regard to Robert Casellman, right? W- part of our experiment there, part of our conversation, centered on Robert Casellman's stuff, in p- particular his fastball, but we also talked about his slider. And to what degree? And I asked you, to what degree might it be possible, essentially, to project his ERA based off of some metrics, velocity? Right. Uh, horizontal and vertical movement, maybe the other pictures in his repertoire. If it would be possible to project his ERA based off of metrics that entirely exclude the presence or the actions of the batter, your answer was it would be it would be difficult.
1: Yeah, there's just so many other variables that we don't have. We don't have enough of a. Um, mm-hmm. This is all that matters in order to do that.
0: Right. Now, <clears throat> if it, I, I so I'm, I, I'm guessing I know the answer, but. What if on the offensive side or say or or on the defensive side i can tell you I can tell you how fast a player runs a forty yard dash um and I can tell you and say I could even tell you something about his um, like his how how his brain works right his uh his ability to uh, there's some sort of like these neuro what neuro his neuro pathways. Right. Essentially, how fast is able to identify spin off a of bat? Could could if I were what sort of data and it, and even if I gave you all the data you needed, would you be able to could you project like a like a UZR number, essentially a fielding runs number for that player?
1: Um Maybe, but I think you'd also have to, like, you'd, you'd have to have, like, really good ballpark numbers, right? Like, it's, so, like, one of the tricky things that I think, like, the statcast data is super exciting. Obviously, we're, like, big fans of MLB and what they're doing, and we think this is great. But, like, um, you know, I can tell you right now, their outfield catch probability that they put into, um, that they announced this weekend, it doesn't include the wall yet. And the wall is, can really be different from park to park, right? Like, the wall in Fenway is very different than the wall in Petco. Um, and so... You know, if you gave me all of that and things that I knew about Jackie Bradley Jr.'s, you know, reaction time and his route efficiency and his top speed, but I didn't account for the fact that the ball hit Fenway hit the green monster twenty feet up in the air, my metric is not so useful. So like there's just so many variables to control for that it's really difficult to be like, Well, if all we have is process stats, we can say exactly what should have happened with the kind of precision that we would want to have.
0: This reminds me, Cameron, people have asked me before, Raiders have asked me before, and I feel like maybe even my own family have asked me before, does playing left field, or how does playing left field at Fenway affect UZR numbers?
1: Um, so we don't, we don't know for sure, um... What we can generally say is, like, UZR does take DDRS too. They take park effects into account. So that, like, BI, Baseball Info Solutions, who collects the data for both UZR and DRS, like, they know it's a giant wall. They collect wall balls. It's, they're marked in the databases like that. Ball hit the wall. We're not going to mark that against Manny Ramirez or Carl Crawford or Andrew Pinatendi or whoever because he didn't have a chance to catch it because it was 20 feet off the, <laughs> above his head. Um, so those are, that's accounted for in some way. But what the fielder does to account for the fact that he's playing in front of it is a little bit different. And this was always the discussion with Manny Ramirez is like, is he a historically terrible defender or are the metrics crushing him because he plays in front of this really weird thing that no one else has to play in front of? And we don't entirely know, like, obviously there's less ground to cover. So on the one hand, um, if you're not making balls in an area where you don't have enough ground to cover, that seems bad. Um, but, you know, the theory has been like, oh, well, you should be able to hide a bad defensive left fielder because there's not that much ground to cover. Except for the fact that, like, you know, Manny Ramirez and Hanley Ramirez and uh, all the other Ramirez's that Boston has stuck in left field, they've been pretty bad out there and have hurt their pitching staffs. And, um, so I don't think we know exactly. I don't think that we can say definitively this is what the green monster does. Uh, it certainly affects defensive quality and defensive performance of the outfielders to some degree. We try to measure, we try to account for it.
0: Do we know it perfectly? We don't know. You mentioned, probably not. Uh, yeah, probably not. That's, that's always mostly the answer. Uh, the uh, I'm going to let you go momentarily. Now, you did mention at Sloan uh, that while there are uh, is some conversation with regard to baseball, that it is largely a basketball conference um, concerning basketball analytics, research, etc. Um, is there anything that, in your estimation that uh, that baseball could steal from basketball? Uh, in terms of its approach to analytics.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the interesting things, especially once we get kind of more granular stat cast fielding data, will be what happens with the interaction of teammates, right? So this has been something people have speculated about for a long time, but like, you know, does having an Andrew Jones in center field who catches everything and is a total ball hog, calls off everyone, does that make it easier to stick a bad defensive outfielder next to him? Like, can you move that that bad defensive outfielder further away from the center fielder, put him on the line, have him be more valuable than he would be, and what's the interaction there? Or, you know, his yeah. teams have gone the other way and put a whole bunch of good center fielders next to each other. What's the diminishing returns? How many plays are there um, where one guy could, you know... Seed to the other guy and it didn't actually matter that you had a really great defensive left fielder because you a really great defensive center fielder would have caught it in the NBA they have to work on these problems on every single play because there's so much interaction between players in baseball we generally just have to deal with this guy versus that guy and it's a one-on-one matchup but in the field that's not true and so looking at how basketball has handled the interaction of multiple players in space moving based on the movement of other players that's something we're gonna have to figure out long term
0: Uh, Now I I don't need you to uh, develop or to answer this question at length, but I was just wondering: uh, Was there any were there any talks of note that you attended? Any uh, any research presented of note?
1: Yeah, so I'm gonna probably write about this tomorrow or Wednesday or something. So there was a talk by. Uh, a guy named John Salmon, uh, who's a met engineer, I think at the University of Colorado. I believe is where he is. Uh, I'm sorry if that's wrong, John Salmon. But he presented a paper about uh the topic was about bullpen usage. But the interesting thing to me um, was not necessarily about the bullpen usage, but that he talked about at the beginning of his paper. He cited um, a study, and I don't think he actually said where where it was. That home field advantage is most significant in the bottom of the first inning. Like, that's really the huge advantage that the home team has, is the home team starter pitches pretty well, or pitches normally, whatever you'd expect in the top of the first inning, and the road starter is terrible in the bottom of the first inning. And I didn't know that, and I didn't know where to find that. So I did some Googling, and I found out that the uh, site, the uh source that he was probably referring to was a Jeff Zimmerman article on Fangraphs from 2013 that I either didn't read or had forgotten that I read, um, and actually shows that this is true. And, uh... He suggested that perhaps this is a cool down effect, where the starting pitcher for the road team has to warm up in the bullpen, then go watch his guys hit, and he loses something between his warm up and his actual taking of the mound. Um, that the home team doesn't deal with, and so he thought maybe there was a way to, you know, have a relief pitcher start the game, so that you have the real starter actually warming in the bullpen before he comes in. I don't know how well that would work with baseball players, but I do think it's fascinating that there is this demonstrable effect of. Bottom of the first inning, home field advantage that maybe we didn't, I didn't, I wasn't aware of, and uh, could be a, a you know a significant factor in home field advantage.
0: Uh, last thing, last thing uh, today we began uh, the Fangraphs residency. We did, yeah with uh, with Kate. I mean, it was Kate Proiser or Prusser or I, Prusser. I was going to say Prusser. Prusser Kate Prusser. I guess when Kate you do talk Pruiser, to her, you should
1: actually ask her how to pronounce her name.
0: I, she will be on the program uh, later this week. Uh, she uh, she lost her voice over the weekend. Uh, and uh, I think she sounded that she might sound like a mid-century butcher.
1: That could actually be very entertaining to listen to.
0: Could be. Could be. It might also be an impediment to understanding <laughs> what words she's saying.
1: Mm, well, so, we don't know how to say her name, so we don't need to know what words to say. Either.
0: Well, we, we will figure it out. Let's uh, – um, tell me more about the residency program, though.
1: Yeah, so our goal in starting this is like there are a lot of really good writers around, um, writing at other outlets, uh, and our you know we we don't have the financial capability to just hire every writer that we think is good. We would love to, but we we can't. You know, we just don't have that kind of money. Um, so in talking with Paul Swiden and David Appleman and some of the other people on staff, um, the idea came around of like, what if we did a short term thing that wasn't a staff position where we had to like. You know, put them on payroll and deal with all the, the hassles that go along with that. But like, what if we could just use our platform to provide an opportunity to writers who are doing really good work elsewhere, might not have access to as large an audience as we have. We can give them a bump. We can, we can help them reach people that they might not have reached before. We can help our audience find writers they might not have found before. And so the idea of the residency was basically to create these month long positions to introduce who writers that we think we like that um, have been brought to our attention as people who are doing good work elsewhere and to use the fangrove platform, which at this point is pretty large, to promote their work and so, you know, even if we can't employ them ourselves, maybe we can help them find full-time employment elsewhere, we can give them exposure to outlets that are looking for writers or have more money than we do, um, or, you know, potentially we might hire some of them ourselves, but um, I think our, our hope was really how do we leverage the audience that we have, which is fairly sizable at this point in order to help um, shine a light on writers who probably deserve more of an audience than they currently have.
0: Well, as you note, a uh, uh, Kate has set the bar high, uh, hopefully not too high. There's a lot of good work out there, but she set the bar high. A cool piece on Tiago Vieira, a Brazilian pitcher who can touch 100 miles per hour and has now seems to have some sort of command over it.
1: Yeah, it helps if you know where it's going, but 103 or whatever gives you quite the quite the floor.
0: Yeah, Martin Ferreira. Okay. Hey, well, thank you so much, Dave Cameron. This uh, this worked out well. I was I'm really glad we got to some important stuff like Adam Frazier's probability of winning a batting title,
1: or the native plants in Maine.
0: Yes, and and uh, perhaps to Bend, Oregon, something to look at the Western. Fair. Western or Saskatoon Serviceberry.
1: There we go. I'm excited to have a
0: Serviceberry. All right. You have uh, fulfilled your obligation today, Dave Cameron.
1: That's good to
0: hear. Okay, very good. Uh, So I will say this. I'll say that has been Dave Cameron, Managing Editor of Fangraphs. I am Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio.